Well, good evening, everyone. So glad to have you in our presence tonight. I'm going to introduce myself again. My name is Andy Ping, and I'll, I want to be able to feel like I'm part of the group leading in worship tonight. No, it's so good to have all of you with us tonight. So glad to have the Pings, but also all of you. Uh, I know um, Kevin and I had first met one another uh, back in uh, the summertime uh, when he was engaging in a preacher training program in Melbourne in which uh, Larry had asked me to come and speak at. And so uh, thankful for that encounter that we were able to uh, meet one another and which ultimately led to this evening of us being together. And so, so glad to see each and every one of you. I've been given the topic through the, the subject matter on uh, the case of Christ. I've been given the topic of the ministry of Christ. And to be honest with you, there is a lot that we could cover uh, but for the sake of time, and I know we all have bedtimes, especially losing an hour tonight, we want to make sure that what we do cover is, is, is pointed and it's uh, according to Scripture, but at the same time, not to take a quarter uh, of the year to exasperate on these things, although you could. And so I'm just going to go through a few points that I would like to cover with you tonight in regard to the ministry of Christ, and, uh, and then I'll let the lesson be yours. The greatest teacher, the greatest preacher... Jesus Christ. And really, you could sum up his ministry in a few short passages, uh, passages like those of us that are heavy laden, right? Who do we go to? We go to Christ. If you love me, John 14, 15, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus Christ, talking about those who believe and are baptized, shall be saved, telling us how we can come into the blood of Christ. And so there's so many different passages that we could go to that speak in volumes to who Christ was, why He came, and what He did for you and I. But we're going to look at a little bit more in depth of this. And so Jesus Christ, the perfect teacher, the perfect uh, preacher, if you will. But in Luke 4.43, Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God. I was sent for this purpose. Why did Jesus come? Well, He had something to give to you and I. He had something to deliver to you and I, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that was going to save man because of a huge problem that you and I have, that all men have. And so this evening, as we look at the ministry of Christ, there's a few things I want us to take away from it as we walk away from this building tonight. Well, number one is the nature of his preaching. The nature of his preaching, the ministry that he engaged in, how he spoke to our greatest need, but not only how he spoke to our greatest need, the solution that he gave to our greatest need. And then lastly, how he challenges us to be committed to God. And the challenge that he gives to you and I as a whole that we need to make some changes in our lives if we choose to be his disciple. And so let's see what we can find out about the ministry of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, we find that Jesus spoke to the people. Why did Jesus climb the mountains? At the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that Jesus saw the crowds and he climbed the mountain. And then he sat down and he began to give them this, this food, if you will, began to feed them with these words that covers multiple chapters, as we know, in Matthew. But why did Jesus climb the mountains? Why did Jesus venture into the villages? It says in Matthew 9.35 that he went through the villages and the towns and he began to preach the word of God. And not only did he preach and share the gospel, but he healed all the diseases and all the sicknesses. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus move among the people? In Matthew 12.46 is talking about them telling Jesus, your brother and your brothers are outside. And we see this change of relationships with Jesus. Who, are my who is my mother? Who are my brothers? 
And we know that Jesus was moving among the people. What about teaching in their synagogues? Jesus went into their environments. Jesus went among those individuals to teach them the gospel. What about, why did Jesus go to Jerusalem a week before his execution? What was the purpose? This is all of Jesus' ministry. From, from the beginning there on the Sermon on the Mount, going into his early ministry, all the way through that last week before his execution. Why would Jesus do all these things? To be in the presence of the people. To be in the presence of people. Why would Jesus speak in parables and use Aramaic, common language, the same language that the common people... He wasn't using what we call coin Greek or classic Greek to speak to people. He wasn't trying to look like a scholar or some lectionary type of uh, you know, uh, individual that spoke with eloquency and, and, and try to give this image off of, a, look how well I can... He spoke with the common language with the common people. Why would Jesus speak parables in such common language? His purpose was to reach the people. Jesus wasn't trying to impress. Jesus was there to do His Father's will. And His Father's will, ultimately, as He was praying in the Garden of the Gethsemane, not my will be done, but your will be done. To become a perfect sacrifice for you and me. The ministry of Christ. To be the ultimate sacrifice, perfect in all ways. Though tempted, yet without sin. As you and I, tempted, yet without sin, Christ. In all ways, to be a perfect sacrifice. Even more fascinating to me as I studied the material for this evening's lesson is that it didn't matter whether Jesus had one person or 5,000 people. He wasn't there to please men. He was there to do His Father's will. One person was just as important as 5,000 people. One person's soul or 5,000 souls, he was speaking the same message. He had the same good news to share with them. He didn't say, well, I'm not going to take my time, as valuable as my time is, to sit down with When you go get two or three or four or five more people, then I feel like my time is being used more wisely. No, Jesus took the time with every single person that came to listen and truly wanted to, even those that didn't, and only wanted to question Him or entrap Him, as we often find with the scribes and the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 19, in verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to encourage you to I want to encourage you to really think about this. That if you and I are going to want, if we desire, if we want to see ourselves engaging in the same kind of ministry that Jesus engaged in, that pleased the Father in all ways, then you and I have to make it about the people. You and I have to see the people. You and I have to climb the mountains, so to speak. You and I have to go to where they are in the synagogues. You and I have to go in the villages and in the towns. You and I need to find opportunities that God puts all around us for our ministry just to be as effective. These pews are comfortable, but they don't save souls. Jesus didn't find a pew to sit in and wait for people to come to Him through a door to talk to them. Jesus went 
In fact, Jesus says the same thing to you and I when he tells us in the Great Commission to go. You're engaged in ministry. Whether you're a preacher or a teacher or a member of the congregation, you are to be engaged in ministry. And we have to do it the same way that Jesus did it. We may be small in number here, but we can have a great impact in this community if we will only engage the same way that Christ engaged in his ministry. And so if we're going to be effective, we've got to see people the same way that Jesus saw people. We've got to see their hurts. We've got to see their struggles. We've got to see their temptations. And then we take the word of God to all those problems and say there's a better way. The way of Christ. The only way. And so Jesus, number one, spoke to the people. But also Jesus identified the problem. You see, Jesus knew about the problem. Hence why Jesus had to come in the first place. And he begins to identify this. And and it's sad. It's really sad that there are so many men, even women today, that claim to be ministers of the gospel, only to be found teaching error. Or even if they are true ministers of the gospel, and they are approaching that subject of the problem, they choose to skirt around the issue, they choose not to mention the issue, or just ignore it altogether. And if they don't know about the problem, I would ask them, what are they reading? What are you studying to preach to the people? In part, the work of a minister, an evangelist, is to do the equipping, the equipping of the people for their work in ministry. But for them to go out and also to bring in and to harvest as they ought to, they've got to know what the problem is. And so part of the work of a minister is to recognize and identify the problems that have to be dealt with and teach the people how to deal with that and take a solution just like Christ did. Early in the Bible, we find the problem. Big, bold letters, sin. The problem of all mankind. And Jesus identifies this. Sin is the failure to act according to the will of God. Failing to obey. Failing to adhere to. Failing to be committed to. Not listening to. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You see, it's knowing His will. But all too often we find too many people making empty excuses as to why not to obey it. This isn't anything new, is it? We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, let me go back here. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. You find yourself in the midst of the garden and where Jesus, or God rather, says, you, can't eat, uh, you can eat of anything in this garden. All that you want except that tree that's in the midst of the garden. Don't partake of it at all. We don't know how many other trees were in that garden, but I'm assuring you that there is more than just one other tree because the Lord says you can have of all of them. They had the whole entirety to pick from, but Satan brings Eve and tempts her by changing God's word, and Satan's doing the same thing today, by the way. He's changing the word of God in the, in the ears and the eyes of men. He's doing the same, using the same tactics he did back in the garden. Don't eat of this. In Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband who also ate. And so in sense, what we go, if you were to go forward to what we find in James, and James talking about this pattern of temptation that you go through every time you fall into it in sin, nothing different. 
It's your own desires and your own lusts that entices you. You know, the old cliche that we, we, we've heard so many people say in times past, well, the devil made me do it. Or such and such made me do it. No, it was your choice. It's your choice to do it. Just like it was Eve's choice. Just like it was Adam's choice to take from his wife. In fact, you go a little bit further in Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. God, you're the one that opened up my side and put me to sleep and took out a rib and fashioned this woman from me. You're the one that did that. And so he begins to first blame it on Eve. It's a woman that you gave me. Then he begins to say, well, God, this is, you're the one that actually did this. And so if it wasn't accepting to blame it on the woman, he goes to God. How dare we find ourselves blaming anything on God? God can't even tempt you. Not directly, not even indirectly can God tempt you. Not through another person can God tempt you. It's your choice. It's my choice. And so we find Jesus identifying this problem of choosing to sin in his ministry. Jesus directly addressed this problem in John chapter 8, verses 21 through 24. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where am I going? You cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is emphatically telling them, you will die in your sins. He's identifying the problem. Unless you believe that I am he. He goes on further, verses 30 through 36, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word. And so here is, is one of those passages in the scripture that, 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 that beat the erroneous doctrine of just believing in Jesus Christ, just faith alone. Because he even says here, not only is it belief, but you've got to continue in my doctrine. One of many we could point to, of course then you are truly disciples of mine. And so if I don't continue, then I'm not truly a disciple, is the alternative there. If you continue my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. It have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does not remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And essentially what Jesus is saying is sin is your master. If you're enslaved to it. But also what he gives you is this. I came to set you free from that slave. That's why it's called the law of liberty. It liberates us from sin. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It liberates us. It sets us free from the master of sin. You know, one thing I appreciate very much about Jesus Christ in his ministry is that he was never vague when dealing with sin. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't try to be politically correct with anybody. If there was sin, he called it sin. In our world of being PC and 
having the PC police all around the place, even some Christians today want to beat around the bush and call sin something different than what it really is. Well, it's being accepted by culture, or it's being accepted by our society. You know what? It's not being accepted by God. Call it what it is. It's sin. And if it's not accepted by God, and God hates it, God abhors it, then so should we. The ministry of Christ, he spoke specifically about behavior. He spoke specifically about those things that offended God. From within, our choices, our lusts, our desires, out of the heart of men, because it's always a heart problem, isn't it? At the, at the very middle, the very heart of all the sins is your heart. The sins that you've committed, of course. Because your heart's deluded. Your heart's not pure. Your heart's not acting on the things of God's will. Therefore, you've allowed other things to come in, and you begin to allow those things to permeate outside in your life, because where they begin is in the heart. And so, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. You want to you fix that, by the way, Philippians chapter 4, 8. What kind of things are you to think on? Things are pure. And just, right? Lovely, noble. All these things, it's a filter for your mind. If it doesn't pass through the filter, then you don't let it get in. Proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slavery, pride, foolish. Man, you could add to this list. I'm sure Jesus could have done, but he didn't need to write every single thing out. Say every single type of sin. What we do know, though, is he was specific about the behavior of sin. He called sin, sin. He called homosexuality, homosexuality. He called lust, lust. He called theft, theft. He called murder, murder. He called it all what it is. It's sin. In his ministry, Jesus did it. You know, biblical preaching puts us in touch with exactly what is wrong with men. And it calls upon us to confess it and to give it up. It's called repentance. One of the things I found in the short time that I've been preaching is this. You can teach, you can teach about the history of the Bible. You can teach about the different languages that it was written in. You can teach them on how to memorize passages of Scripture. You can have one of the greatest uh, Bible programs there is. You can begin to define words and give them books on how to look at the, the different characteristics of a particular word. You can look at the different literary styles of writing. You can look at all these things. But if you do not address the problem with the people and the reality of sin, then you've done them a major, major injustice. Because memorizing passages of the Bible aren't going to get you into heaven. Understanding how the Greek was written and understanding classical this and all these different styles of writing isn't going to get you into heaven. What's going to get you into heaven is recognizing your sin, repenting of that, and coming to Christ through an obedient faith. Jesus was the master teacher. He was the master preacher, and his preaching always expanded man's problem. You know, he had the, Jesus had the perfect expository type of skills. When you, when you think about it, he, he knew the Word of God. I mean, when he was tempted three times in the desert, he used the Word of God three times differently. And there's another thing for us to understand about ourselves. When we are tempted, it would be best for us to, to, not, to, to not, number one, tolerate the temptation, but number two, address the temptation towards our weakness with a passage that deals with that. 
allows us to know ourselves better, allows us to use the Word of God in the way that God would have us to use it, just like Jesus did. But of all things, Jesus wanted people to know that they were lost without Him. Hence why He identified the problem. Then we go from Him being with the people, identifying the people's greatest problem, to the point that He then gave people the good news. You know, it would have been awful for Jesus to to, to let down all these people by exposing their biggest problem in life, but yet then not giving them a solution. He he could have easily done that, I'm sure. But he didn't do it. He gave them a solution to the problem. He says, here's the problem, sin. Here's the solution. However, what we find then in Luke 4, 18 through 19, is a solution. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. His death expressed God's love in the greatest of ways. One of the most well-known verses of the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And in those words we find what it means to believe. It's not just a faith alone. In those words and the other harmonizing scriptures throughout the Bible, we find that there's much involved in believing. Because even demons believe and they shudder. But belief alone is not going to get one to heaven. So Jesus goes on and He's giving them the good news. And what we find is Many good things that Jesus said allowed us to be able to see just what it was. In fact, we look at Matthew 26, 28, setting up his memorial that you and I remember every first day of the week, every Lord's Day, the eternal significance of his blood. For what? For our sins. For what? Our remission of sins. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. He gave us the solution to our problem. You see, the ministry of Jesus Christ was about preaching the gospel. It was about announcing the good news. Jesus looked at the distress. He looked at the downcast. He saw lost people, and He renewed their hope. He gave them a goal to walk toward. He gave them the opportunity to run a race, but also finish the race, as He did with the Apostle Paul. His ministry was all about sharing the good news. But lastly, what we find also is that he dared people to change. Can you imagine Jesus concluding one of his sermons, let's say the Sermon on the Mount, by just simply saying, well, thanks for listening. (laughs) Oh, y'all have a good day. Go back home now, and don't worry about doing anything with this information. I just felt like wasting my breath. Or, or maybe not even getting through the whole sermon and just saying, okay, well, my, my time's up right now. Uh, I know you all have somewhere to go. I know, you know, dinner's on the table at home, or maybe you got something in the crock pot, whatever the case may be. Jesus never ended that way. In fact, Jesus always ended by daring people to change, challenging them with the information that he gave them. Not only did he give them understanding of God's will, but he challenge them to how they're going to use God's will to make the change in their life. You see, Jesus in His preaching brought people to an understanding of the truth of God that no other ever has. 
Many, many prophets of old and many others of old had only looked to be able to perhaps one day be able to understand these mysteries that he revealed through Jesus Christ. Mysteries that were never known by Isaiah. Isaiah, though writing about this, he didn't know that he was writing about Jesus Christ. Even Peter alludes to such in his letters. And so we find that what Jesus gave was not only truth, but also understanding. You know, one thing that I find is with everyone that encountered Christ, never left unchanged. Either you left sad, mad, or glad, but you never left unchanged. You may not have liked the things that he had to say to you, or you might have loved the things that he had to say to you, but you never walked away from Jesus Christ other than being sad, mad, or glad. And that's something to say about the preaching and the teaching that Jesus had. But the thing is, is Jesus didn't just want them to listen. He wanted them to obey. Matthew 13, 9, He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, obey the word. Don't just listen. Yes, I want you to listen, but I want you to listen with understanding. And I want you to do. In fact, when you looked at the seven churches in every one of those letters, we find the very thing. Do you have ears? Then listen. And in that, he challenges those that need to repent. He says, you need to repent or I'm going to remove your candlestick. You, you need to act upon this. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He's calling the people to make a decision. You know, one thing I've noticed with some, and I certainly hope and pray that you're not among these kind of people, Christians who have only made a decision for the Lord and not a commitment. There's a big difference, you know. Making a decision. Husbands, did you decide to marry your wife or did you make a commitment to her when you married her? There's a big difference. Too many Christians have only decided to serve the Lord and have not committed. I've used this illustration before. It's, it's like a pilot running down the airway, fully throttled, going down the runway with a plane full of people. What's he have to do before the runway ends out? He's got to commit to getting up in the air or he's going to crash and burn and all the lives on that plane are going to go with him. He can't just decide to full throttle and go down that runway. He's got to commit to the air or it's going to be devastating. The same thing with Christians. We can't just decide to get on this, this way, uh, this racetrack, because oftentimes decisions only put you back in the bleachers to become a spectator in the kingdom. You've got to make a commitment to the Lord. And this is exactly what Jesus did over and over and over again with multiple people. He gave them the truth. He gave them understanding of the truth. He spoke with the common people in a common language. And he told them, now you've got to decide. You've got to make a choice. Are you going to decide and commit? Or are you going to decide to leave? It's up to you. Don't be like King Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian where you're in limbo because we know what James says about being double-minded. We know what the church of Laodicea was rebuked for, being lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot or cold. But I'd rather, I, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. And that is the most rejection that you find from Christ. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And they really thought they were okay, didn't they? We're rich. 
We're well off. We've got, we, we've got things under control. Jesus had other words for him. You're blind and you don't even know it. You're naked. You're in a great need and you have no idea. What's worse? Knowing what you need to do to fix it and not doing it or not knowing it and being blinded to the fact that you need to have something done and you still don't do it. And then you have the Lord himself have to tell you in a letter, hey, you're wrong here. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he spoke to the people simply with great power and with love. When Jesus gave people information, he wasn't finished. He concluded with giving them an ultimatum. If you hear these words of mine and act on them, you're going to be like the wise man. If you hear these words of mine and do not act on them, you're going to be the foolish person. And, and it begins, we know the story, right? We I mean, all the kids sing it in Sunday school, and then we know, but you know what? Let's not make it into a, a rhyme. Let's not make it into just some kind of, Jesus is speaking truth. These are uh, words from, breathed from God. This is scripture. This isn't just a child's song. This is reality. If I hear and I act, I'll be considered as being wise. Again, you cannot leave Jesus having heard the truth, having understood it, and not making a decision. Not making a decision is making a decision. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You've heard it. He literally stormed the will of the people. He challenged them to face their individual choices of serving Him or not. Just consider a few. Rich, young, ruler, right? I've kept the law from my youth. I, I, well, Jesus, what do I need to do to, to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? Well, he, he gives them, well, I've done that all my life. However, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and become, follow me. But then he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Was it for a lack of understanding? Was it for a lack of hearing? It was his choice to say, No, Lord, riches are better to me to, than to follow you. What, what about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, 18 through 31? He who believes in him is not judged. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. He's telling Nicodemus, you've got to decide. You've got to make a choice here. Was it for a lack of understanding or hearing? Absolutely not, because even Jesus had to describe to him that you can't go back in your mother's womb to be born again. He had to describe that to him. It's of water and of spirit. What about the woman at the well in John chapter 4, 25-26? The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the one standing there speaking to the Christ, the Son of God, and, and saying, I'm looking forward to this day. And then he says, it's me. My knees would probably just buckle. Was it for a lack of understanding? No, because she brought a whole town to Christ. 
Come, hear, see the one who has told me all that I've done. Come. It wasn't for a lack of hearing or a lack of understanding. She acted upon the words of God. She chose to follow Christ. You see, within the ministry of Christ, Jesus turned information, the truth, and understanding into motivation. And some were motivated more than others. Likewise, hearers of the gospel today need to be put in a position by you and I, if we are to be in a ministry like Christ, to have them make a decision. It's not enough just to tell them Bible stories. It's not enough just to kind of give them a little bit of the gospel and then not tell them you need to act on it. Anyone that is serious about being a preacher or a teacher of the gospel, a minister of the gospel, has this on them. That you bring the truth to people and you convict them and they make a decision. They make a decision. You see, the power is not in you, it's in the gospel. Paul, and Apollos, watered, seated. But it's God who gives the increase. And part of that increase is based on the soil or the heart that the individual has that's listening. And so the more we stop depending on ourselves and the more we start depending on God, the more we'll start convicting people to make a choice, just like Jesus did. Again, Jesus was the perfect teacher. He was the perfect preacher. He had the perfect ministry. And I'm well aware that there are many, many people that believe that God is going to provide us many ways to get to heaven. Some are going to say, well, it's through Islam that I go to heaven. Or maybe, maybe it's through Buddha that I get to go to heaven. Or maybe it's just through me having faith and I believe in Jesus Christ and I've prayed the sinner's prayer, by the way, you can't find in Scripture anywhere. I've done all these things and maybe even more ways that we could find ourselves getting to heaven. But let me tell you something. If man were responsible for that, then perhaps, perhaps. But we're not responsible for salvation. God is. We're responsible for hearing and understanding and obeying. That's what we're responsible for. Jesus is unique in that he makes the exclusive claim to be God's own provision to eternal life. In John 14, 16, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Likewise, Peter affirmed such in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Even John affirms to that which Peter has said, building upon Christ's words, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, John 3.18. In conclusion, the lesson will be yours this evening. Jesus Christ is the most important person with the absolute perfect and most important ministry in the history of this world. My question is, have you trusted in Him? Have you heard His words? Do you believe them? Do you believe that He is the Son of God and that He died for your sins? That His blood was shed at... Mount Calvary to redeem you, saying that you are willing to obey the things that He says. To be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. First, repenting of those sins that is making a change in your life. To turn away from the things that are wrong and to be one with God. To be one with your Lord. To make Him King of kings and Lord of lords in your life. 
Are you resting in the righteousness of God? I'll end with this. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And really, that's the ministry of Jesus Christ. If I can encourage you to make a change in your life tonight, we would love to help you in any way that we can. Come now, together as we stand and sing.